that and uh, I was reminded actually I'll just tell a little uh, uh, wild story to get us going and we'll dive into a little bit of work. Um, when we um, in 2010 when Haiti had the earthquake there were 200,000 lost lives and um, we had already been responding to disasters that have been somewhat normal for what we were doing and we we uh, and so this is in passion purpose if you read it but I'll share a little different angle to it so we take off, we land, we end up there right in the middle of absolute chaos. Uh, actually, Laura and I flew in on uh, getting Ross Perot's plane. Uh, he's, he ran a large company here in Dallas, an international company. And somehow somebody contacted me with his son-in-law that if I'd meet at 3 a.m. over at Alliance Airport that there were uh, 20 pallets of medical supplies going and they had 20 seats. And so Laura and I jumped on that because no plans, no uh, commercial flights were landing at Port-au-Prince. And so we landed and when we landed, it was just two days after the quake. And so there was no passport control, no check-in. You just got off the plane and everybody was running around and we were taking pallets of medical supplies off by hand. And we were using sat phones for our guys that were at a, uh, a Christian school that they had kind of taken over. and. Um, our guys and several of the smaller NGOs were all there. Everybody got kind of a classroom to live in and do your medical supplies. And then they were doing mass unit, mass runs into neighborhoods where there was no care. So they would be people uh, on the brink of death, major surgeries to, you know, cuts and bruises and pains. And um, so uh, anyway, we get the word on the sat phone. Actually, Kevin Johnson called me and said, man, do y'all have any morphine? We need morphine. And, um, and again, when you're in a chaotic situation and there's just, you don't kind of go through all the protocols. And so I went to this, uh, to actually Ross Pro's son-in-law, who was a surgeon, and I said, hey man, they need morphine. We're doing an amputation. We've got all these things going on. And, uh, you know, in those circles, you just, if you were crazy enough to get there, we trust you that you're not gonna <laughs> use it for something else. So uh, he said, okay, man. So he gives Laura and I these uh, four boxes of morphine. And he said, hey, this is $250,000 of morphine. So just don't let anybody uh, get you and don't tell anybody. I'm telling you now. But, uh, <laughs> and so then, then the whole deal is how do we get across Port-au-Prince where there's looting, craziness, everything else. So you pray over the right car and then, so we finally uh, said, all right, I feel like this guy's the guy in a beat up truck. We jump in the back. Laura and I are holding our own backpacks and $250,000 worth of morphine. And we kind of stumble our way. An hour later, we show up at the, the Christian school. And then we just started doing daily mass runs and units, or what do you call it, just outreach uh, deals all over the city. And you know, it was incredible all that God did. But the interesting part of this was that I was supposed to be uh, preaching the following Sunday. So we had left like Sunday night or something. I, I forget the exact details. But then, so we were there all week and then I was supposed to be back. So we had booked a flight from Fort Lauderdale, Florida at seven o'clock at night on Saturday night. So I could get back to the FW about midnight, get down here and preach on probably the message was be nice to your neighbor or something. <laughs> and so uh, so we're having this wild, very wild, intense trauma, rescuing people's lives, life and death, all this stuff's going on. 
And the deal was there were no commercial flights. So we were all just like, hey, we went by faith. We'll get back by faith. So I call a friend of mine uh, in Atlanta uh, and he had a private plane. And I, and, and I said, uh, man, any chance you guys are flying supplies into Haiti? And he said, yeah, by the way, we're flying in care flights once a day. My guys are doing a round trip. And I said, well, could you pick us up? And he said, um, he, so he radios back, and we're doing this through sat phone. He said, yeah, I can get you if you can be at, uh, I think it was called Tremel. If you can be at Tremel uh, uh, Airport by 10 a.m. tomorrow, it's coming in. So this is like 4 in the afternoon or something. And I'm like, okay. So I asked the guys around, how do you get to Tremel? You know, and they said, well, the earthquake took the bridge out, and it's in the middle of a mountain pass. You can't get there except by flight. And I said, well, the airport's not open. They said, well, I know, so I don't know how you're going to get there. <laughs> so I called another friend with Missionary Aviation Fellowship, and I asked them to put me in touch with the Port-au-Prince guy. We didn't even know if he was alive, let alone if they had a plane that was flying, etc. So somehow I get a hold of the guy, and he says, yeah, but we really can't fly. It's all just visual flying. There's no radio towers. Everything's down and all that. And I said, hey, dude, I really need to get out. I mean, come on. This is why you're here. You know, you're, you're a missionary aviation fellowship pilot. And I'm a missionary, and we can do this. And so, uh, so he said, all right, let's give it a go. We'll see if we can pull it off. So Laura and I show up at 7 in the morning, and we get in a little Cessna, and we fly, it's only like 45 minutes, right, or less. You just fly over the deal, you see the bridge out, I mean, uh, from this huge canyon. And we land in the in this airport, and what airport, landing strip. And there's a couple buildings, you know. Uh, and so we land, and we get off the plane, and there's a lady there for uh, the NGO Feed the Hungry. And she's saying, what flight are you coming in on? Where are you coming from? And I said, ma'am, do you do this for a living? She said, nobody was running the airport, so I decided that I needed to run the airport. So I've been taking I said, oh, that's great. Okay, so she's, the Feed the Hungry lady is taking the airport stuff. She said, uh, she said uh, all jokes aside, the Canadian Air Force is coming in to run the airport. Uh, they just needed us to hold it down, and so we agreed that our personnel would hold the airport down. Well, we're there probably 10 minutes, and then... Um, uh, all of a sudden, this huge helicopter comes in and lands, and it's Christine Omnipour from CNN, and it's it's all these reporters and these kind of official people, and they're all running around, and there's just a handful of people around there. So that's going on, and then another helicopter lands, and it's the Canadian Air Force, just a, kind of a skeleton crew. So all right, this thing's going on, and we still we you know we got a couple of hours till our plane gets here. And so we're like, okay, it's interesting, you know? So um, all that's happening. And, uh, and then about 30 minutes later, this, uh, so we were gonna be on a King Air, if you know anything about airplanes, so it's a King Air eight-seater. And this King Air is coming in, the landing gear goes down, and we're saying, wow, they're here early, they're here an hour early, and so we're just staying there. And I mean, like, let's just say, literally we're 100 yards from the landing strip, and Laura and I are just standing there and all this other crazy stuff's going on. And we're watching the plane come in, and as soon as it hits, the landing gear collapses, and it's spinning down the runway. Uh, Doug, what would it be, about 100 miles an hour? What are they, when they land or less, what it would it be? 
130, 140 miles an hour. Yeah, there it is. So they're, they're spinning down the runway, and we are just, you know, I don't know where you are on all this, but we are praying in tongues loudly, calling out <laughs> the mercy of God, and asking for the Spirit of God to rep to save these guys because they're spinning down the runway. They miraculously slide into the grassy area and then hit into a ditch. And, and all of a sudden you see the flaps come up and they are running, right? Because you don't know if the thing's going to blow. And then the Canadian Air Force guys are running with extinguishers towards it. These guys are running this direction. And, you know, we're just like, wow. I mean, you know, it's, just, it's just kind of a surreal slow motion movie. And uh, so the guys get in and I said, well, hey, honey, we need to go check on these pilots. And, and one guy was a Fort Lauderdale guy. The other guy was a guy named Pablo, and he was from Ecuador, but he has a green card. He's a pilot for one of the airlines. They were just giving their extra time to fly this private plane and to haul supplies. So um, anyway, so we go, we say, you guys, they're really shook, and Christian Omdipour and all the evening guys are freaking out, and, they're, and these guys are just shocked, you know? And so we talked to him a minute, and Pablo says, I, I gotta go to the restaurant, I gotta get my head together. So he goes off to the other building. About that time, another helicopter lands, and they say, if you wanna go to Port-au-Prince, you gotta go now. So the other guy, his co-pilot guy says, well, I'm gonna go, where's Pablo? And, and I'm standing there listening to this. I said, well, Pablo's in the bathroom. He said, they said, you gotta go right now. You got 60 seconds, sir, to make this uh, call. And he said, well, I'm gonna go tell Pablo I went. I was like, Okay, I'll tell <laughs> So Pablo's, uh, so uh, the, the other pilot's off. Everybody tracking with this story? And so Pablo, and Pablo comes out and he says, where is, you know, where's Johnny or whoever? And I said, hey Pablo, I hate to break it to you, man, but uh, <laughs> the helicopter landed and he's, he's gone, you know? And, uh, and about that time, the CNN guys took off uh, in their helicopter. And so he's like, what do I do? I mean, he's in tears. I mean, he's, he's in shock, you know, he just almost lost his life. And so we pray over him and then uh, all that. And I said, well, Pablo, you know, um, we've got a plane coming in. And, and he said, I gotta get back to Fort Lauderdale. I gotta get out of here, I gotta get out of here. And I was like, I don't know if we can take you, but let me just, I'll ask, but I'm sure a lot of people are showing up these days, you know, here. So, so anyway, I pray over him. And then, um, and then about that time, here comes another King Air. Now we are a little more apprehensive this time, <laughs> exact same plane actually. And it lands, lands perfectly. They taxi in, etc. They'd already dropped off their supplies. They actually were coming to pick us up. And uh, so, they, so I said, hey guys, can we take Pablo with us? <laughs> and they're like, who's Pablo? You know, so we go through the deal. And um, so he, he had his, you know, uh, um, airline outfit on and all that stuff. So he was legit. And so, uh, so they said, well, they, they had radio back to the States. They said, okay, we'll take him. And so we get on the plane, we get airborne and they, um, and they said, hey, I need all you, you guys' papers to clear customs, because they go in private, and because of all the drug traffic in Florida, you gotta go through whatever special uh, gate or whatever. And, um, and Pablo's an Ecuador citizen with a green card, but he didn't have any of his papers. And none of us were stamped into the country, so we can't be stamped out of the country. You understand what I'm saying? So, and the rule is they hold you for 24 hours uh, by federal law. 
And I can't be home for 25 hours because I got to go preach on Love Your Neighbor in Lincoln, Texas <laughs> the next morning. So we're, we're doing all, and I'm like, oh no, Pablo, man. I mean, you know. And so these guys radio around, they're trying to figure out what to do. So we land, now I don't know if you've ever been to the Bahamas, but the Bahamas has 300 islands. And one of those islands that we landed on is just a salt, flat salt island with one strip and a truly a Bahamian guy just sitting there in one little, uh, you know, a brick building, just drinking a Coke, just, he's just sitting there and there's one gas tank there. And so we land, we pull in, and somehow he has the ability to stamp you into the country now. <laughs> so this, this guy just sitting out in the middle of nowhere, stamps our deal, we do the deal, we get in at, at uh, 5.30 or 6, we literally run through, we get a car rental to run us to the main airport, and, and literally, we, in those days, you could walk on the plane kind of a little, little early, later, and so with 20 minutes to spare, we walk on the plane, and we're the last people on the plane, and I go back and, hi, good morning, everybody, so glad you're in Waco today. We're going to be talking about love your neighbor. And um, so, yeah, so the adventure is awesome, but you got to put yourself in a place of risk to be in the middle of the adventure. Because, you know, it was difficult, and we could have lost our lives. And it's a great story in retrospect. But um, uh, I always say, everybody wants a miracle. They just don't want to be in a position to have to have one. And so... Uh, if you want to see the miraculous of God, you, we, we've got to be able to say, hey, by faith, I'm going to trust you. I trust you with my finances. I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to trust you with my relationships. I'm going to trust you with sharing the gospel, whatever it is. It's that, it's that God's face where the, the, the lack is made up by God himself. So whatever that was worth, there you go. Uh, but isn't that a cool story? That's, that's really cool. And Pablo made it back fine, and we, we ministered him all the way home. So, um, so what I, what I want to talk about is, um, and most of you guys should be familiar with these terms. But I want to talk to you just uh, tonight a little bit about the you know this. There you go. Thank you, sir. Uh, about the Kairos moments of God, and uh, just. Just a little Greek study here. So chronos is the chronological time. You're familiar with that. So it is 823 and it's uh, August 20th and um, uh, you're going to be here till 10 o'clock at night. You're going to go to bed at 11. You get up at 6. Whatever that is. We mark time chronologically. The Hebrew equivalent of that would be in Psalm 90 verse 12 where David says, Teach me to order my days that I might present to you a heart of wisdom. So if you know what God wants you to do, then you show up at the right place and you mark time. And, and if you're a godly person submitted to God, all those hours matter and, and we're diligent with how we spend our time. But there's another Greek word and that's kairos. And kairos is, uh, uh, I love this uh, definition. It's a Greek word that means the right, critical or opportune time. The kairos of God is the right, critical, or opportune time. And this is Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your kairos, of your moment, that intersection of time, those, those kind of holy places, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
Another most famous Kairos time is uh, Queen Esther, uh, when who knows if you're not royalty for such a time, the Hebrew equivalent of Kairos, for such a significant opportunity as now. And what I would say to each of you guys is that the training school is a Kairos moment. It's, it's, it's uh, yeah, you show up on Mondays and Thursdays and we're gonna do these activities and if you do those activities, you'll get more out of it than if you don't do the activities uh, that have been mapped out. But it's also a Kairos moment. It's a moment where God is trying to get your attention in a unique way and it's a unique setting and really at a very unique time in American history. So what I would say to people, when people say the world's never been like this before, I would say it's been worse before. And you can read the Old Testament or you can read history. There are more wicked times on the planet. But for us as Westerners, this would be the most unique time in modern history. Or maybe the most unique time in American history because of the disintegration of a Judeo-Christian base for culture, because of the uh, chaos that has no clear ruler or leader, because there's no agreed upon center point of morality and values. It is, it is unique for our country, so, uh, but it's not unique in world history. So God has shown up before, he's going to show up again, but we do need to know that we are in a Kairos moment. So what do you do in a Kairos moment, a unique moment? And, and again, let me, let me go back and say that. That could be when you have a significant sickness. It could be the joy of marriage. It could be the birth of your first child. There's seasons where everything just shifted. What do I do? It could be something very devastating or something great. It could be something in society or it could be something on a personal basis. But when we're in a Kairos moment, the first place you have to go to is the character of God himself. How, uh, uh, who is God again now? Now I knew who he was before this Kairos moment, but, and, and, I, and I wanna build off of that, especially if it's been positive, but in the Kairos moment, God is reestablishing himself in a fresh way. Does that make sense? So, um, uh, an example would be when I uh, decided to go to Baylor instead of the University of Texas, it was a Kairos moment because if I went to the University of Texas, all my friends were big party people and that would have continued that lifestyle. So choosing to go to Baylor, not that Baylor is that holy necessarily, but it was a different choice with a different group of friends that would change the course uh, of my life. And so best I knew as a new believer, God was leading me to go here instead of there. But then when I got there, God would reveal himself in ways I never thought possible because I had kind of chosen the God way instead of my way. And so let me just give you just a little help on how God constantly and consistently wants to reveal himself and at a new and fresh level. God always wants to reveal himself as your father. Uh, I'm sure Mick will hit on this throughout our time, and so I won't go too in-depth except to say this. The number one way that God communicates about who he is from the Old Testament to the New Testament is Father. Number one description of God himself. So God calls himself Father because he's the head of a family of which you are a part. And so the reason 
though Almighty God is used, though there's many L everything that is used about God, though there's many ways to describe God, the Father of Peace is specifically initiated by God so that we know and have that opportunity to be attached rightly to the one that created us. So let me psychobabble here a moment. All of us have attachment issues. And what that means is, is that because of our background, because of the lack of even great parents, the holes in our lives, obviously because of sin, because of destruction, we, we all kind of wander around looking for ways to attach somehow to feel okay about ourselves, about life, about our purpose, our destiny. And God ultimately has reserved full attachment to himself. So until we find him as father fully in all that he intended, we will constantly be wondering uh, with a bit of a question mark over our souls. And what I love about that is, is, is that um, I don't, whether I had a devastating upbringing or whether I had a, a, just a beautiful upbringing, there's always more to know of God as the Father because He is fully complete, fully, fully pure, fully holy. And when I rightly attach to Him, um, I finally find my place of rest. I may have found it under the shelter of a healthy male figure, father, brother, etc. But ultimately, when I find it as the Father, then I'm good to go. So if there's anything in this Kairos moment that you're wanting to get, and that we're wanting you to get, is a revelation of the Father, of His love for you, of His care for you. And listen, I'm 57 years old, and I was stunned today by the revelation of the Father. I don't have it all down. It's a continual revelation of how good He is. But once you understand how good He is, then he can't ever be bad. So when terrible things happen, I don't have to be in despair because I know God's good. I, I believe more in the evil of devil of the devil and sin is destructive, but I don't question God because I found him to be faithful. And regardless of what my human experience is, uh, ultimately, he will be faithful in the end because he's the father of the whole universe. And he created all things for his glory. And therefore, I'm here to serve him and believe and trust in him. And that becomes layers of layers of getting rid of the world and letting God be my father uh, in, in all things. Um, so, again, we're going to go on that in depth. But let me just say, God wants to reveal himself as father. Maybe a second a piece uh, on this kind of attachment theme of how God wants to reveal himself in our Kairos moments is Jesus wants to reveal himself, among other things, as your shepherd. And I, I, I love that, that he communicates that he is our shepherd and we are sheep. And again, if you've been in church at all, you know all the, all the basic sem semblances of sheep. They're needy. Uh, they can't protect themselves. They're dumb. Uh, they follow the crowd. They'll follow each other right off the cliff. Not even think about it. Uh, they can't cut their own wool, so they can even die just from weighing down. They don't know how to eat appropriately. I mean, these guys are dumb. And that is what we are called. 
So if you have a bit of arrogance about yourself and you're, you're proud of yourself, which I want you to have a healthy self-esteem, I want you to have a healthy confidence because God created you in his image and that's a beautiful thing. So everybody has a gift, everybody has a talent, we're proud of you and all that good stuff. Uh, and at the same time, you at your best are is still a sheep that needs a shepherd. And the quicker you learn that, the more you begin to experience Jesus as your shepherd. I've been saying this a lot the last month. A good friend of mine said, I'm not asking God for help anymore. I'm asking him to take over. I don't need a little help. If you want a little help, then you'll get a little help. I need a lot of help. Uh, I want God to take over. I need the shepherd of my soul to lead me moment by moment. And here's what I want to say about the current waters we are in is that Nobody has the clear corner on the market on the plan to go forward. By the way, our nation, the issues of the day, Afghanistan, Haiti, there are things we all can't do. There are godly things we need to do, and there are leadership principles that are kind of bit like gravity. They'll work for a moment, but I find even the best leaders that I know in the country and and I have the privilege of knowing people that know a lot of folks and, and are in the news all the time. Uh, they get going in one direction and their plans are frustrated. And they get going in another direction and their plans are frustrated. Nobody has the corner on the market, you guys. And what God is forcing us to in this Kairos moment is to truly be sheep who are fed daily, who listen to our, uh, the shepherd's voice and follow him. We are sheep. He knows us, we know him, and his sheep hear his voice. And so even as we're getting to know him as the father, we're, we're going to get to know him as the shepherd because we need him not only to care for us and nurture us and comfort us along the way, but we need to hear his voice. And if that's been one of your greatest frustrations in life, hearing the voice of God, I don't think I hear the voice of God, etc. Let me just let you know, this is your year. <laughs> this is your Kairos moment to be confident and to be attentive and to learn to hear the voice of God uh, you know, like never before. Uh, and just, just so you know, hearing the voice of God never gets old. I, every time I hear the voice of God and I see the fruit of it, it makes me believe in God again. I already believe, but it just makes me believe again. I was in a, a, a meeting about a week ago, and um, I, I, I was supposed to do a little five-minute devotional. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and I felt like you want me to tell this uh, story. Actually, I'll tell you the story. Uh, I, 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 again, I, sometimes I don't even know whether I shared it on Sunday or not, but you probably weren't there, so that's fine. I, I can, uh, but not anymore, because you're now in the training school. You will be there. All right, so, uh, so um, I had a... Um, a during uh, COVID, my sister-in-law was dying of cancer. My older, oldest brother is 10 years older than I am, and she had battled with cancer for two and a half years. Saint of saints, incredible, beautiful lady, loved Jesus. And, uh, and, and God had been doing a great work in my brother's heart and his now grown kids. And so they had been watching us online. And they come from a fairly... Um, um, like a evangelical Methodist background, so we're wild through and through. But, but in the midst of their need, they were watching us online, and if we had a prayer meeting, they'd listen to the prayer meeting, and 
They were asking God to heal, heal his wife. And, and so there was just a beautiful intimacy that was going on in our family. God was doing some beautiful things. And so uh, the hospice was there and they said, you know, it's any day until she goes to be with the Lord. So, so hang with me. So that's, that's the setting. Over here, uh, the summer of 2020 was very challenging for the whole world and for us as a church and many other people. So in the midst of that, I was in July, I was uh, flying in to be at a wedding and I said, God, I need help. Like, I need somebody to help me. I need a friend that I can offload stuff with, dialogue with. I need some counsel, right? And again, I've been counseling people for 35 years, so every counselor needs a counselor, by the way. And so I'm saying, I need counsel. So an old friend picks me up at the airport, he, and I said, what's going on? He said, man, I'm, I'm all these new tools of, of counseling and attaching to God, I'm just learning all this cool stuff. And I said, hey, would you meet with me? Can we just meet on Zoom once a week, talk, we can pray together, and just whatever you're learning, help me, right? So, so you got the setting, got my brother and sister over here, and I got my buddy Michael that I've been meeting with now for, I think we've met for over a year now, every Friday, we did it again this morning, it's a beautiful time. So, um, so one of the things we do is we, we pray together and we say, a Spirit of God, what is a, what is a holy memory? With, I like what he calls a golden memory. What's something beautiful that you did? And so what you do is you kind of say, all right, God was there in this particular setting this week or in my past or whatever. And, you know, you rejoice in that. And then you say, God, how do you want me to see you in my current challenge? And then you take the character of God that was revealed in the past and then you apply it to your present. Isn't that a great tool? Yeah. There's a freebie. You can use that uh, on your, in your own life. We'll talk about that later. maybe. All right, so... We're doing that, and I said, Michael, I'm having this kind of picture from growing up as a kid, and um, and my mom was a uh, a very broken person, and uh, they they had me later in life. They weren't planning on having me, and in the, and after having me, we know uh, now, you know, it's the uh, uh, not post traumatic, what do they call it, postpartum stuff, uh, on top of her own issues. So in those days, they just gave you Valium to deal with it. And Valium basically knocks you out. So what she would do is, and my brother and sister would, would tell me this, when she got home from the house with me, she would put me in the crib, she would take Valium, lay on the couch, and I would scream all day. And then every once in a while, she'd pick me up when she could or when my dad got home. And so they said, she, you'd be in this playpen in the middle of the room till you were about two, screaming your head off, and we would just all go out and play and say, man, he just needs to get over it, you know. Uh, he said that was our attitude uh, for, for the first little bit. But this is the cool part of the story. So they had told me that story, but of course I didn't, didn't remember it. So I, God brings back that picture. I hadn't thought about that in years and years. And he brings back that picture, and I see Jesus sitting on the couch in my mind's eye, my holy imagination. I see him sitting on the couch holding my mom's hand. And she wasn't a believer. My mom got saved at 89 years old, two months before she died. So he's holding her hand. He's wanting to comfort this unbelieving, broken lady. Uh, and of course, I'm, I'm sure he was comforting me, but this, the, the picture was of this. So this is going on. And 
Um, and then in my mind's eye, I'm taken to out in the front yard where the, my brothers and sister are playing. And Jesus shows up in the front yard and taps my brother on the shoulder, my oldest brother. And he walks in and picks me up and cares for me. And so I'm having this picture and I'm telling Michael. And my brother's name's John. Michael is never my brother, doesn't know anything about him, doesn't know that my sister-in-law is dying. And, and my sister-in-law was just the grace of God to my brother, John. She was just, any lack from my mom, she made up for it. You know, it's just a beautiful marriage and relationship. So it was all the more loving, but also painful. So Michael, I said, Michael, I'm having this picture. What do you think God's saying? And, uh, and he said, uh, he said, well, who, who, who was your brother to you? And I didn't say his name. And so my, my brother was really like my dad. He's the one that stepped in and cared for me. He would take me on dates with him as a little guy. I drove to Baylor with him in his freshman year when I was nine years old. I stayed in the dorm the first two nights when I was nine years old <laughs> at, at New Waco, 1972, you know. Uh, so uh, he, was, he, was, he was just uh, a, a friend in the midst of our brokenness. And we weren't believers. But he really stepped in and cared for me. And we've always had that bond because of those years. And, uh, and so I just kind of mentioned that. And I, and I, I said, you know, and his wife's really sick right now. And, and that's all I said. And Michael said, well, let's just pray into that. And he said, Father, thank you for Brother John. Thank you for John the Beloved. Thank you for the ways that he gave his life for Jimmy. And thank you that you are going to meet with him now. That you gave him a life uh, of grace to sow back in. Because of his faithfulness, you gave back to him. And you're going to give back to him right now. And we just have this holy kind of thing going on. And it's just so powerful. And I, I just get so stirred because of my sister-in-law, you know. I felt like the Lord said, enter into the reward of your sufferings, Ren. You're free. You're free to go. You've loved everybody so well. Enter the reward of your sufferings. Well, I mean, wow. I mean, we're in tears, not the, the whole deal's going down. And I end up um, calling them, telling them this experience I had and said, God sees you guys. He knows you guys. And all the adult children just happened to be there. And we were able to release her into the hands of the Lord. And just a few days later, she went to be with the Lord. And we were able to tell that story at the funeral. And there were hundreds of people there because she was very well known in their city in northern Indiana. But the um, but half of them were unbelievers. And we were able to say God broke in because he cares. And I was able to tell that. It was just wow, you know. And so I'm telling this story to this group as a devotional just like we're doing. And people are getting touched by God. And, and, and I said, well, let's just close our eyes and see what Jesus wants to say to us. And I started singing this old chorus, The Steadfast Love of the Lord Never Ceases. And I just felt led to sing it. Now, I haven't sang that in years. And so we did it kind of three or four times. And I look over, and one of the gals is just absolutely undone. And I'm like, wow, that's so interesting, you know? So afterwards, she looks back around and she said, my, the pain of my life now as a young mom is kind of, it's my relationship with my own mom, and I've forgiven her and dealt with all of it, but it's still just such a painful place, especially now that I'm a mom and all this stuff. And she says, the only comfort I ever got from my mom was she would sing that song over me. As a child growing up, that was the, that was the song. How did you know? 
And I said, I didn't know. God knows. And I thought, I believe in God. I mean, I, I, you know, there was only like 50 people in the room, but God knows her. And he had me do that little story and a little song because he cares. That's our shepherd. And when you hear his voice, it wasn't like I thought, oh, I get a word from God. You know, I, I just got up, spent time with God and said, oh, I'm a little Devo, what would be helpful, Lord? What would be right this morning? And just that flow of God. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? Uh, and then we had our, uh, we have a leadership track for people that want to plant churches and the movement. And they, they had a little retreat a couple days ago. And... Um, you know, I was just going in to share stuff about church planning and all this. And this one guy, they, they're doing Q&A, and the guy says, uh, hey, I believe in impartation, laying on of hands, and I just think God's got something for you to impart to me in the name of Jesus. And I was like, I mean, I was a little tired that day. I thought, no pressure, man. I mean, like, <laughs> we want you to lay hands on all of us, and you're going to impart the power of God. And I'm like... Well, I, I, you know, I hope so. But, uh, you know, I, I said, yeah, well, whether anything happens or not, by faith, you can receive, you know, because uh, you never know. Uh, you know, this is not our deal. We follow Jesus and sometimes it's big and sometimes it's small. It doesn't really, and that's what you got to get over, right? I've received from God with no emotion. It's changed my life. I've had tremendous emotion and it's been a moment. I can't always equate all of it except that God's good. Yeah. So you all follow my ramblings here? So, so I said, they said, okay, so now you'll pray for us. And I'm like, all right. Okay, so it's the middle of the afternoon. It's not even the morning, right? Like you're not like just coming out of the gate, you know? And so I said, well, Spirit of the Lord, come. And I get these two numbers in my head, 7 and 17. And I said, I'm just praying, Lord, I just pour out your spirit on these friends. And I said, I keep getting these two numbers, seven and 17. And something happened to someone in the room at seven. And at seven, there was some kind of abuse and it tainted the knowledge of God. And I think there was somebody else that at seven, you were called by God. And that's, that's been your runway. And you wondered, is it's okay to, to, at seven to come to the Lord, be baptized and live a, did I need something else? And you have enough. And for the one who... Whatever happened to you at seven, that that tragedy from seven to seventeen, you you wondered, uh, am I okay? Will I ever be okay? And you felt like the shadow was over you, and though you had experiences with God, you felt guilty and dirty and all this stuff. And then at seventeen, you had an encounter with God, and I want you to know that that was the final death blow. And don't let the enemy speak to you anymore from that, even though uh, you know I don't know how old you are, whatever. And I mean, I'm like, I'm, I'm just kind of going with it, right? I, and it's not like I, I do, but I know the voice. I've been in the, in the, and I'm willing to be, to, to, I'm graciously submitting it. Hey, I just feel these things. I don't know if it's right, you know. So I pray over everybody and it's kind of a, you know, meaningful time and all that. But I don't, I don't know. There was only like 15 people there. So praise the Lord, Drew Stedman texted me an hour later and said that was right on. I mean, this was the, the guy, this guy had seven years old, this abuse happened at 17, he had this experience, and he was wondering, is he worthy to be a church planner? Now at 35. God sees. 
God knows. And this man just needed to know that the shepherd is still helping him. Isn't that great? It's just good stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, so actually, why don't we just pause and do that little chorus, the step house of the it worked once. It might work again. I mean, who knows what God might want to do with it, right? Let's just let's just take a moment and then we'll get back on the message. But these moments can be a kairos. Yeah. They can be a God turning point, even a little thing. Judy, so, can I share something? Please, please, yeah. Just a little kairos moment. I so since my daughter Wesley, a lot of y'all saw her tonight. She's ten months old. I sing to her every night a hymn. I've never not I've never once sang this song to her, but tonight the Lord just said, Sing the steadfast Lord, and I sang that over her tonight for the first time ever. Oh my god, it's good. It's amazing. Sleeping great. Isn't that beautiful? I believe in God again. I believe in God again. I love that. So I'm just going to sing this little chorus, and you're welcome to join in, and we'll just take the moment and respond. I love that. All right. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning, new every So I need to be guided because I can't see, right? 
So, of course we can see, and there's so much that God, again, I'm not diminishing we're made in the image of God. We have incredible power on our lives for good or evil and all that. But the ultimate kind of attitude of the heart is, Lord, I cannot see unless you open my eyes by your spirit. God, I don't want to lead my own life because you see around the corner. You see ahead of me. Be my guide, Lord. And we believe with all our heart, God has guided you here for this class, for this moment, for this Kairos season. You're here by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is so multifaceted in the way that he speaks and leads. And I'll just say this to encourage a few of you guys. We had a friend of ours who's very, very prophetic, hears God all the time, and her husband's kind of that same way in there. I remember I was at their home, and they, they pulled me aside and said, hey, we're worried about our 10-year-old daughter. She's getting a lot of anxiety issues because she came to Jesus at 6, but she doesn't hear God. And, and, uh, and I said, well, what do you mean she doesn't hear God? And they said, well, we all wait on God and she doesn't get anything or she doesn't hear it. She's getting so frustrated that we're, we're afraid to hear God because we don't want to create anxiety in her life and, and all that. And I said, well, well, what does she like to do? And said, well, she loves to serve. And I said, well, what do you mean? She said, whenever we say a guest is coming over, she gets all the snacks out. She makes everything arranged. She puts the candles on. She has this gift to make everything more beautiful. And she she kind of does it uniquely and kind of she just has a heart for that. And 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 so we, we, we just keep encouraging that, but we're we're concerned she doesn't hear God, or we don't know if we're doing it right, if we're training her right or whatever. And I said, You guys, she's hearing God. It may not be this big voice. But every time her heart is stirred to serve in a beautiful way, she hears God. So go back and tell her that she hears God. And they went back and told her she hears, and she just, I hear God. I mean, I hear God. And, and she is a freshman at Baylor now, and God's using her in so many beautiful ways. She's a beautiful young lady. And she just needed to know that it may have been different than the way mom and dad said you got to hear God. But God was working through her heart's desire to serve. I mean, so I'm just saying that to free everybody up a little bit, right? And when I say we're going to hear God, it's not like 7 and 17 and what are all these numbers mean? It, everybody's got their deal. But it's what is the Holy Spirit on your heart and how is he guiding you? Okay? All right. So where were we? We were Kairos moments. And we were talking about God himself. Now, let me let me shift this a little bit to a little bit of our own uh, history, what we're all a part of, and where we're going as a community, because the school's going to be going with us into this next season. Um, if uh, Hopefully you read Passion and Purpose, and, and I am not your accountability, so I'll let the, uh, the leaders of school deal with that if you haven't. But... Um, the reason we want you to read it is so that you see what we call a bit of the prophetic history and what all's God done and, and all that good stuff. But at the centerpiece, I tell this story and of being driving down I-35 by Baylor, actually, after I graduated, Laura and I were trying to figure out, we, we were going to start the training school, but we had no money, I was mowing lawns, and we're driving, I'm driving down I-35 in this old beat-up pickup truck after, you know, uh, um, um, after my experience at Baylor was kind of exactly the opposite. This guy's going to do great in the world and all this stuff. So I'm driving by my old beat up pickup truck saying, what are we doing? We're starting this little training school. 
And um, and the Spirit of the Lord just comes in the truck. That's all I can say. God shows up, Kairos moment or encounter with God. And he speaks to me, he said, if you'll simply obey the next thing I'm telling you to do, you'll be in the middle of the greatest revival this world's ever seen. I pull over on the side of the road, I'm undone, I'm heaving, I'm crying. And just, by the way, I was not a crying kid. I thought he grew up like that. Uh, but I was just overtaken. God spoke. And though that was however many years ago, 30-something years ago, that's where I always go back to. And that's where we always go back to as a community when we don't know what to do. God, what are you saying now? And are we obeying? That is the safest place in the world because you can always be right with God. So whatever chaos is going on in your life, whatever challenges you have, you simply pause. Spirit of living God, I'm fully submitted to you. I want to worship you. I want to honor you. You've got to kind of clean out the heart and all that. Once you do that, just, and all I do is obey. And sometimes it's go ask forgiveness of somebody, go repent of something. Sometimes it's just do what I already told you to do. Keep the job you're doing or whatever it is. But I always just want to, are we obeying the next thing God's saying to do? So to fast forward for the Antioch movement and for us as a church, uh, December of 20, uh, November of 2020, uh, just a crazy year, right, for everybody, but all across the body of Christ, but for us as well. And we just begin to pull our leaders together and say, what is God saying? This isn't like, hey, let's get a cool word for 2021. This was, we need to hear God, because if we don't hear God, uh, this, there's, this chaos is not going to end. And the chaos is probably not going to end in the world, but we don't have to live in it. Yeah. So what is it that you're saying? And so we got 50 of our leaders from uh, around the world together. We got 75 leaders here locally, and we reached out to a couple hundred other people. And out of it, we re-upped on a word that you may have heard us share uh, that, that had come to us in 2018. So 2018... We were uh, meeting at our with all of our U.S. pastors, and in the middle of, uh, uh, and I was going to speak the next morning, and I'm saying, God, give me something fresh, and I had a little message on, you know, of course, uh, Jesus, that's a great message, always a good place to go, uh, living a narrow life, staying on mission, just kind of resharpening our hearts and minds. So, again, many of y'all heard me say this, but you're, the reason I'm retelling it tonight is to try to say, what Kairos moment are we in now? What are we working on here as a community uh, together? So, um, so I have a dream that night, and again, these are, uh, this does not happen that often. So I had a dream, and the dream, I'm looking out, uh, on the, I'm in New York Harbor, looking out over the Atlantic Ocean, and um, the, the Spirit of God speaks to me in this dream and says, I'm conscripting the Antioch movement for such a time as this. And I'm thinking, conscription, what does that mean? I mean, I knew it, something military, something about the draft. So I'm in this dream, I'm standing here thinking, looking out over the ocean. I'm saying, what does that mean, Lord? Is it something about the draft, conscription? I'm in, Lord. You know, I'm just trying to respond the best way I know in this dream because I know God's speaking. And so, uh, and, and then I wake up and I'm saying, okay, conscription, what's it mean? I said, Lord, help me. And he said, it's like the Queen Mary. And then this dream, this turns into a vision of the Queen Mary, this ship coming from London to New York in my mind's eye. Now, I don't know what the Queen Mary is. I'm just 
vaguely familiar in history about some kind of cruise ship, Queen Mary, and, and he said, it's like the Queen Mary, the answer's in the Queen Mary. And I'm like, okay, we're conscripted, okay, God, I'm in, what's the Queen Mary, all that stuff. And again, just to, to summarize it very briefly, it was the kind of a, the leading cruise liner that would go from uh, London to New York and back and forth. And it was conscripted in world history by the Allied forces. It was then taken to New York. They stripped all the luxury items out of it. They sent it to Sing Singapore and retrofitted the ship. And then it became a troop carrier to take uh, US uh, personnel all over the world. They would go to five different continents, 400,000 personnel. It would break the world record for the most amount of people taken in one vessel across the Atlantic, 16,863 at one time. Before then, it never had more than 3,000 people on there, 1,000 staff and 2,000 people. But once it was retrofitted, it carried 16,000 at a time. And it, they said they said that uh, it shot, uh, shortened the war by at least a year uh, because they were able to disperse the troops. So there's so many things in there prophetically. Now, first of all, after that dream and that vision made me believe in God again. I, I was like, oh my goodness. I mean... I could never have come up with conscription. I couldn't have come up with the Queen Mary. And then, all right, so God, what does it mean? And there's so many lessons, but I won't do that tonight except to say this. Uh, uh, my my uh, prophetic buddy, uh, Michael, said, you know, the powers in, they said, you know, you know, it's obvious, right? And I said, what do you mean it's obvious? It's in the powers in the name. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, it's Queen Mary. Jesus is the king. The church is the queen. And Mary was the conscripted one by God. Isn't that amazing? The Queen Mary. We're the church conscripted by God to carry the troops to win the war, to rescue people, to save souls, to plant churches, to be salt and light in a broken world. That's what the Queen Mary is. Well, you know who the, there was two major cruise liners that were conscripted by the Allied forces. You know the name of the other one? Queen Elizabeth, the other conscripted one. Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth were the two retrofitted luxury liners to win the war uh, and to get the troops into battle. And so there's several things about all that. But we've been taking that and saying, all right, God, you're speaking. So here we go. We are going to be retrofitted. We're going to get the luxury out of our lives and our hearts and out of the church. And we're going to get on mission for what you're saying. And so this last year we've been saying, what's the purpose of God? What's spiritual warfare? How do we do prayer and praise and, and see breakthroughs in spiritual warfare, how to raise up the next generation. And so we're in this word, you guys. We are like, hey, let's do it. So as we're kind of going into the next part of the year, this is right around the corner, if, if this Queen Mary word, and we've been responding as a community by getting healthy and getting the troops whole and getting ready to go, then we're turning the corner here in the fall and um, it's like the boat's taken off from the dock. We got right people in the boat now. Whoever survived COVID and stayed with us, they're in. God's got the call in the boat. We've got the, the church is ready to go. We're headed in the right direction. All that stuff. So you know the little, you get pull out of the, the, uh, the harbor and you hear the, and the horn goes off. And they're, they're out into the waters. But then once they get out into the water, especially during World War II, then you have to navigate the waters. All right, we got healthy. We got. We believe in the church. Is the boat that makes it across, whatever. The, and and now we got to navigate the waters. 
there's mines, water mines underneath there. There's mountains underneath the water, obviously, Titanic kind of stuff. There is U-boats that are doing torpedoes. You have to have a cap, you gotta navigate this thing more like this than just like that. And God speaking to us over and over again, we've gotta be attentive to his voice like never before. And we've got to navigate the landmines of our culture because what's swimming in the water is killing us and it's blowing us up. We get going in a direction, some kind of uh, mindset, some demonic lies, some brokenness in our culture. It just blows up a part of the ship and people fall out or a, a, a church sinks or whatever the, the deal is. Does that make sense? So we're navigating the waters as a community. So we said, okay, Lord, you've given us this word about conscription. We're going in the right direction. We're getting everybody healthy. We've kind of made it through storm one. Now, Lord, how do we get the ship ready for the back end of this storm, which is gonna be more challenging, you guys, than we just experienced. I just want you to know that. And I don't say that because I don't believe in victory. I absolutely believe in victory. And I have great hope for the church emerging. Beautiful, and I believe great hope for salvation and signs and wonders. I believe we're returning to a power and a potency that we've never experienced in our lifetime, but it's gonna be through difficulty. So, and we weren't experiencing the front ends of that a little bit, right? You can just start feeling it everywhere, right? So, so here's the deal. The deal is, so how do we navigate this? So we said, God, what do we do? And God spoke to us, I want you to do 10 months of First and Second Corinthians. So we are doing the longest series we've ever done in Antioch history. It's 10 months uh, of going through First and Second Corinthians. And if you haven't read it in a while... Dealing with every issue under the sun, sexuality, division, the, the deity of Christ, uh, marriage, divorce, a family, lawsuits, judgment seat of Christ, eternity, the resurrection. I mean, whatever question you have, we're at least going to walk into it uh, by the grace of God. But here's a scripture that I, I, I just want to say, if I say I had never seen it before, I have seen it before because I've read Sacred several times, but it did not pop out to me. And so here's the scripture. You guys ready? Yeah. And we're just about finished. I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6. It says this. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, so just stop there. How many gods are there? How many voices are there? How many things in our culture are pulling against the exclusivity of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, the hope of Jesus, right? Everything in every direction. Verse 6 says this, Yet for us, everybody say yet for us. Yes. Yes. There is but one God, the Father, we just talked about him, one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. Isn't that awesome? There's one God and Father, and we exist for him. And there's one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we exist through him. Yet for us, no matter what the world's saying, no matter what the Christian world's saying, no matter what all the articles are saying, no matter what everybody's saying about us, whatever. Yet for us, we have one God and Father who created us, and we're living for him. He's not living for us. We're living for him. And we have one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and resurrection is enough for every problem on the planet. Yes. 
that many people have said that's too simplistic then you haven't studied the death burial and resurrection of jesus in the death burial and resurrection of jesus is every answer to every problem on the planet when rightly attended to and because it's called the gospel because we believe that with all of our hearts Yet for us, we are going to re-solidify our radical belief and devotion to the Father, our radical commitment to Jesus and his exclusivity, and the radical commitment to his word of God, as the word of God is the authority of God and the answer to everything that we need. And that sounds so simple if you've been around a while, but I'm just telling you, I've been stunned by the people who've been tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine. Uh, I think we were talking today, Nick, I was saying, what it, it still takes my breath away. People that I thought may not make it through the challenges of our culture have become solid as rocks. And people that I thought, surely you're not going to walk in the direction have. You don't know who's going to walk with God these days, right? Have y'all been stunned at times? Yeah. Friends, family, somebody calls you, I'm walking away from a 30-year marriage. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm, I'm walking away from the church. I don't believe Jesus is the only way anymore. I believe that this lifestyle is normal, whatever it is. You're just stunned. Your breath's taken away a little bit. And you tend to say, I'm just so confused. I don't know what to do. We are not confused. Yeah. If we are submitted to the Father... And existing for him and the one Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and our trust and complete sellout is on him and what he has to say about how to live life. You don't have to be confused. I understand if you are. We're all confused at times. So grace, grace to everybody. This isn't like some rebuke. So everybody just chill out a little bit. Because you know, oh, then I'm confused. I need to quit now. I'm right out the back door. But we, we are all sick of the confused. It's all right. But what I'm trying to say is in your confusion, we know where to go. We know where the answer is. We know where the centrality is. And at the very simplicity of it, though I may not understand everything, I do know who the Father is. I do know who Jesus Christ is. I do know that the Holy Spirit is present. And at least that I can worship. And while I'm trying to figure out the answers to everything, and I need to dig into the Word a little more, and some trusted friends, and pray through some stuff, and all that, I don't have to be unstable while I'm trying to figure out Direction or question asking or all that stuff because I'm resolved of heart. And um, and so <clears throat> what 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 I'm excited about as a community is uh, there's nothing to lose because we've already lost our culture at one level. Now just everybody look at me. I am a hope filled, faith filled guy. I believe in the resurrection and. We've got people changing the world all over this country, and I see things happen every week. So I'm very encouraged at the testimony of God, but the infrastructures are shot, and the stuff in the water is uh, so prevalent that unless there is a potent church that fully believes in the gospel and is unafraid of the demons of hell or the complaints of man or the accusation, if, if you're not... Uh, when you throw off all the fear and all the anxiety, we are good to go. And the word of God is our source for where we're coming up with the answers and how we're living life and how we're doing it. The first flying anyway, right? 
Uh, Margaret Thatcher, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, said it this way. She said, when you're standing in the middle of the road, you get hit from cars going both ways. <laughs> Christians trying to be cool and relevant and open-minded when stuff outside of the context of Scripture are getting hit both ways and it's spinning people into confusion. Right? You don't have to be confused if you decided who's right and it's not my opinion or someone else's. It's the Word of God. It's the centrality of the Gospel. And when that becomes clear, then the power of God starts showing up. And the potency of God starts showing up. And there's, there's not only hope, there's everything that we need uh, for where we're going. Um, yeah, so why don't, why don't I wrap up with, like, uh, with, with a couple of thoughts? And when I say that, who knows? But uh, I, I know you're tired, so... Uh, I'm, I'm trying to follow the guide. <laughs> How about that? Uh, so, um, uh, when Laura and I started this, uh, our little journey, we uh, had to walk away from uh, friendships. Uh, not, not in a, um, we're leaving you, that kind of thing. It's just the way we were choosing was a narrow way, and everybody didn't want to go the narrow way. And I'm just talking about believers. We, we just walked another way, and it was a narrow life, and it was a bit challenging and, and all that. But there was a deep belief in our hearts that we needed to live sold-out lives, yeah. and um, we weren't going to be content without that. And so uh, even if it was to our detriment, even if it made us unsuccessful in the world's eyes, even if it was foolish to somebody, even if in the end it didn't, uh, it didn't all pan out the way we wanted. Um, to not go for it and believe God for a New Testament reality in our lives would be to have wasted our lives. Yeah. Uh, our careers just weren't worth it enough. Our dreams of America dream wasn't enough for us. Um, you know, um, we we wanted God and all that He could have for us and. When we read the Bible, we believed actually it could happen to all of us. And there's been a lot of ups and downs, you guys, over 35 years of that journey. And there's been great victories, and there's been great destruction, and great challenge. And, and this last year and a half has been just difficult, very, very difficult. Um, and at the same time, we can smell the resurrection. We've been around long enough that we know when there's death going on and you wonder, well, golly, is this thing ever going to resurrect? But you get, you make sure your heart's right with Jesus, you're low and you're re-centered up and then, boy, when you just get everything centered down in Jesus, the resurrection is just, hap I mean, it's going to happen. It, it is happening in our midst. It's going to happen around the corner. And, um, and because of that, uh, The future is bright, and I mean that. Like I'm, I'm gonna be surprised this year what God does. It's gonna be awesome what God does. I mean, it's gonna be amazing what God does. And um, and you're right in the middle of it. And I, I honestly, the school being smaller is going to be better for you. <laughs> and small, I mean, you, you're like, wow, this is bigger than I thought. But, but we, we had 150 or whatever. This smaller school is going to be a more potent ability to kind of dig into the heart 
And the beautiful thing about the smaller school, there's nowhere to hide, you know? I mean, we know if you're gone, we know if you're here, we know what I was doing or not doing. This is gonna be a larger room, you can kind of drift off in the corner, but uh, this is gonna be a sweet place. And so, if your parents told you you were a fool or some of your friends told you you were a fool, they may be the fool in the end because uh, going the narrow way and giving God a space like this for a year can change the world. Let me share a couple more things just to get a bit more. Uh, and again, I hope you guys are cool with me just kind of meandering here. And this, this actually was my last story. Is, um, you know, I've had a lot of young people saying, you know, what are we going to do about Afghanistan? And what are we going to do about all this? And we've worked there for 25 years. So these crises happen cyclically in Afghanistan. The Taliban has been bad from the beginning. And there is no surprise to us or our workers who had to flee the country as well. And, and all our friends that have gotten out at this point, except our Afghan friends that we're, that we're going back and forth with. And, you know, um, people were saying, um, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it, it is, uh, we're going to pray. We're going to fast. We're going to send aid. We're going to send workers to every refugee place. We're going to pray, like we always do, against the Taliban to dismantle evil. We're going to pray for righteousness to come in. We also know that since we've been working there, it went from zero gathered believers to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers are all throughout that country. The salt and light is everywhere. Though evil is prevalent and destructive, there is now roots in the soil that cannot be taken up. Yes. And there are those that are called to stay and some of them will lose their lives and some of them will find incredible miracles to cover their lives. And there's those that are called to flee and so we are praying two prayers. God, open the pathway for those who need to flee, that you're calling to leave, make a way to the airport, make a way for them to get out. And God, give incredible courage for those who are called to stay. And, um, and I, I had a young person say, well, you know, how can you just be so, uh, you know, not compassionate about that? I said, hey, I've cried so many tears and our people have laid their lives down um, we had two of our best friends, uh, a guy named Tom Little. Tom was the guy who really started the, a lot of the, uh, the, made a pathway for all of us into uh, Afghanistan. He was up in Nuristan and one of the, with 10 other people. And one of our team, uh, Kurt and Karen, were, Kurt was supposed to be with him on that trip. Kurt got sick, wasn't able to go. 10 of them were killed for their faith. Our, our friend of 35 years lost his life. That was like eight years ago. And then when I first went into Afghanistan in 1995, and um, uh, I got incredibly sick, I had salmonella, they thought I was gonna die. And there was a Finnish nurse and her husband, Dan Terry, was an American, and they kind of nursed me back to health. It was, it's a whole miraculous story. But I was there, and Dan and Sarah, Sarah was her name, Sai, and she confided in me about her fear of Dan dying. And she said, you know, we went through the, the, the Mohajuddin and the, the civil wars before with the Russians, and Dan almost died so many times, and now we have three little kids, and I just can't imagine. You know, I just had faith in my heart. No, Dan's not gonna die. God's given you guys, he's covered you guys. Well, three years later, I was down in Jalalabad, which is southern Afghanistan, and um, 
uh, Dan, we were at this kind of guest house area. We walked out to go catch a, 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 a Jeep to get out of the country. And I saw Dan for the first time in three years. Hey, Jimmy, what's going on? You know, I said, Dan, hey, you know, we had a great reunion, hug, prayed, all that great stuff. And um, that was the last, I was the last person to see Dan. He lost his life, the gospel. The countless number of Afghans who are just as important as you and me have lost their lives over and over and over again. And so when we, when we, when we look at something like Afghanistan, we should be grieved. We should be moved with compassion. We should be praying for the saints. We should be praying for deliverance. We pray against evil. The Taliban was held off for 20 years. That's a miracle in and of itself. These, and at the same time, all these crazy events are going on and you can get so anxious and everything else. But listen, we have an eternal hope and we are preparing everybody for then. And now it's just passing by. And I am not minimizing. Again, I have wept with people. I have cried out to God. I have been devastated. I've had to go through PTSD counseling for some of the things I've experienced and being in some of these hell holes and wars of the world and all that stuff. But in the end, I'm not a humanist. I'm just not a humanist. I believe in God the Father. <laughs> I believe in Jesus the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe my eternal destiny is already set. And I believe that the devil is trying to steal, kill, and destroy people. And God wants to give life and life more abundantly. So I want to stay in the game. I want to do the PTSD counseling and get over it so that I can get on with it. Mm -hmm. And I can keep helping everybody get into the boat. The body of Christ. Baptism into, the, into Jesus. And the life of God for the glory of God. And so all that rambling to say this. You are all called to be rescuers. Yeah. You're going to get rescued this year. So that you can be a rescuer. And you're going to find yourself, I'm, I'm getting into the groove and rescuing people. And you hit a wall and you're like, whoa, all this junk life just showed up. Then we're going to just heal you up. We're going to get through it. We'll get you back on your feet. And we're going to get back in the battle because we are called to be the people of God for the glory of God for this hour. And we're just not going to back down. Um, Kendall Laughlin, who's a, one of the prophetic leaders on movement, he sent me this word this week and he said, I was praying, I had a visitation from God last night and he said in big letters, don't back down. I said, amen. <laughs> right? Everything is trying to stop the people of God from moving forward. We're the hope of the world. We're the only moral center on the planet, by the way. We're the only ones that have the hope that everybody needs. And so we got to be that people. All right. I'm trusting that that bowl of 3,000 things turned into something that is helpful to you. And um, it, it's just an honor to have you. I know that you guys made your sacrifice to be part of the school. And I count it as an honor. And, um, and I'm so looking forward to being with you guys on and off. Uh, please come up at church and say hello. Please dive fully into the community because we are... Uh, you guys, Lord willing, will be our most radical part of the community. And so we need you fully engaged in it uh, because we are on a clear mission uh, to see the glory of God show up and to rescue people like never before. Um, anything else, Lord? Um, 
Yes. And along the way, whatever rumors you've heard or whatever, you can ask us anything. <laughs> and uh, if they're true, we'll tell you. Uh, and if they're not, we'll tell you. But one thing you can know is that the staff here and this community, everybody's in it for Jesus, nothing else. And uh, we're trusting him to do above and beyond we could ask your thing. So let me pray. So Lord Jesus, just thank you for all these friends. Thank you for this moment, this Kairos moment, Lord. Just, I'm just grateful for this Kairos moment. And I am asking, Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us like never before? God, in this Kairos moment, would you, um, would you order our days that we might present to you a heart of wisdom? May you surprise us beyond surprise. May you really just overwhelm us uh, like never before in our lives. And Lord, I, I just go back to those simple things of you being a shepherd and you knowing and seeing everything in everybody's life in this room. And you want to take it and redeem it for your glory. And we're trusting you to do that. We're trusting you to do that. Okay, let's all stand up. And... Uh, So maybe I'll, I'll just say this, and again, if, if you, uh, I'm just going to, we're just going to open up a second, just literally, just for five minutes here. If you feel like you have an impression from the Lord, anything, that you don't have to call somebody out, but if you feel like you have an impression from the Lord, just keep it to a few moments, seconds, uh, just, if you feel any sense from the Lord right now towards us as a community or something you feel like God's saying, just raise your hand, holler out, or you can come up. Anybody at all? Something from the Lord. God has everything under control. Yeah, God has everything under control. I'll take that word. Yeah. What else we got? Yes, sir. God has constantly moved throughout history to protect His church. Yes. And and He has had His Kairos moments from the start of the church continuously <laughs> up to Absolutely. now. Convinced that now is again that time, just yes. like the Reformation, yes. just like the time of Charlemagne. Amen. 